Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Good afternoon, and welcome again to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic. This one is Optimizing Paid Search Ads. I'm Flint McLaughlin. We're going to be looking at how to leverage the full potential of 130 characters by clarifying the value proposition. If you're just joining us, we probably have locked out with all lines. Typically, uh, we can only reserve 1,000 seats for these clinics, and we often have uh, many, many more than that. trying to log in. We'll do our best to uh, help you as we go forward, and uh, you can talk with your colleagues with the hashtag that you see for Twitter on the screen right now, hashtag WebClinic. I'm going to be speaking, and along with me is uh, Tony Doty and John Powell. John, I think you're shot. Uh, John is sitting right across from me, and I'm in our studio, and I think his headshot looks a little bit more like a male model than it does an analyst, and I resent the fact that you're the facial close-up and the whole head angle. Uh, we would expect brilliant things from you later today, John. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> so we're going to get right in and uh, start with a simple test. On the screen, you should be able to see now a group of uh, B2C ads. And I'd like to know which one you would click and why. Look at these six ads. Use the uh, Q&A feature of uh, GoToMeeting and uh, start telling us your thoughts. I'm going to be reading those. They'll be coming in, a lot of you. Uh, so, by the way, somebody, uh, Brandon Powell says, Woo, John. John Powell is in the house. I don't know who that is, but he has the I same you, last name <laughs> as you, all right? That's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the top five, uh, Darko Makovsky, top five, Sony laptop, somebody else said. Uh, someone says Sony laptop, 77%. Top five Sony laptops, another chooses. Top five Sony laptops, uh, uh, then uh, Sony Vio, Amazon.com Verified Seller, uh, and uh, on it goes. We're, we are logging your responses. We will measure them, and we'll determine as we go forward. And as you look at this next one, we'll ask you to do the same thing. Here are six more ads. These are B2B. Ask yourself which ad you would click and why. Bear in mind, one of the things we're going to be learning is the goal of a paid search ad is most definitely not to sell your product. Now, there may be an exception to that as a general rule, but most of us make a grave mistake in how we design paid search ads and how we consider their own value proposition. In fact, you're going to discover before the day is over that a paid search ad has its own independent but sublinked value proposition with that of your company. And by thinking about these paid search ads in a completely different way, you may discover there's a way to get significant gains, reductions in your CPA and increases in your ROI. I've seen it over and over and over again. You have these 130 characters. It's shocking to me how many businesses are dependent on getting those 130 characters right for their success. I remember the days on the net, many of you do also, when there wasn't a paid search option at all. The whole game was organic. There were 20 search engines. We were trying so hard to get proper rankings in those 20 engines. The results returned by them were so irrelevant sometimes, so difficult to predict, that it was a very, very uh, uh, difficult uh, process in terms of getting those high rankings. Then along came a paid search offering. It predated Google, and uh, it was a success. People said, let's buy our way into a place of uh, recognition. And that's what we've been doing. And the mathematicians at Google have done their best to make certain that they extract as much money as possible from our pockets in the process of buying those ads. So we need help. We need to understand how to get our paid search ads producing at their highest possible level. To me, it's fascinating. You know, there's a lot of studies about game theory, and there is now a lot of work done online with gaming to determine human behavior. 
But game theory is at its finest in paid search. The truth is, you are competing on a nuanced level with so many others with such a, such a tight series of constraints that the paid search marketplace is one of the most remarkable ways to understand a business. Do you know that we've used paid search to test product names? We've used paid search to test value propositions. We've created environments in paid search to measure the demand for a given product, triangulate it to determine the force of a value proposition. Some of us have a very one-dimensional understanding of the power that paid search has to bring wisdom, insight into your understanding of customers as opposed to just uh, getting a sale. So we need to learn today some things that perhaps will tilt the way we've thought about paid search in the past. And to begin with, uh, I'd like to take you to an experiment. It's one you may have seen before uh, with our group because we've studied it, but we're going to look at it in a different way and use it to set up a very important question. This was a leading software provider. Their goal, of course, was to increase leads. They wanted to convert those leads to sales, and they needed more. Common problem. Many of you on the line are probably in B2B, but these principles apply to B2B or B2C. Here is their original ad. It had the keyword, and it said business software. You can now see the company. They have been good research partners with us. The group is netsuite.com. And they had this particular ad, award-winning business software, fully integrated free trial. Now, we ran an experiment for 18 weeks. We tested 16 different ads, and we observed more than 950,000 unique impressions. I want you to start to understand uh, how we started getting incremental gains, and more importantly, why. And in the process, gain an understanding that might help you to go back right after this session and get a result in your own campaigns. So let's look at that ad within context. Here are some of the treatments. There is uh, their ad. Next to it is various versions of that ad. Which one of these do you think produced the highest lead or the highest uh, yield? Here's what we discovered. This particular ad was the top producer. And when you compare the original ad with the best performing ad, you see a 21% increase in click-through. Now, bear in mind that this was only part of a careful experiment that was designed to increase not only the conversion of the ad, but of the landing page and of the form. And in fact, the improved form, preserving virtually the same number of form fields, increased conversion by 97%. So that the experiment that you're looking at is... Um, is more comprehensive than we have time to explain today. And all that we want you to gain from it is this simple understanding. From the paid search ad to the landing page to the form, there was a continuity in a value proposition that drove the core results. The power of the ad, this is the insight that will help us as we go forward. The power of the ad is not in the fact that it achieved 21% more click-through. It is that it enabled a series of expectations in the value proposition expressed on the subsequent pages that helped us capture a much more significant gain overall. Now, what I just said is nuanced, so think about it again. I'm suggesting to you that the power of the ad was not from its 21% lift, but from the fact that the subsequent pages produced such dramatic lifts keying in on the precise wording and value proposition that was expressed and emphasized in the ad. In fact, if you look at the numbers, what you'll see is that the overall conversion lift for this organization was 272%. And if this 272.2% increase actually had more dividends than our parent. Because not only did it increase revenue, we know that a 272% increase will likely increase revenue, but combined with a 66% reduction in CPA, cost per acquisition, the optimized path produced more than four times the monthly profit. They had a 302% increase in profit. Now, many of you are on this line who are seasoned marketers, 
you tune in here to discover something new from uh, our base of uh, studies and experiments that are taking place around the world. And you've all seen the more the, the, the core principles associated with getting paid search performance up. Most of you probably are familiar with a lot of the key principles. But you should be scratching your head right now. Many of you are thinking, wait a second. You're saying that they got a 272% increase in profit, even though they only achieved a 21. Per, I'm sorry, a 272% increase in conversion, and a and a 302% increase in profit, even though they only saw a 21% increase in the paid search ad. How does all this link? What's happening beneath the surface? I'd like to help you understand that and how this ad contributed to their success, and that will help drive the core learnings that we need to understand to get the most out of today's clinic. Now, I have limited time. And uh, I know that it's very difficult for you to log in with the pressing schedules and deadlines and campaigns and all that you have. I'm asking uh, that you cooperate with me now and together we'll take the time that we have left and we'll try to do something more than show you an interesting study or entertain you with uh, an interesting story. Let's grasp something together that will move the needle and that we can find is easy for us to implement right away in our existing Patriots campaigns. And to do that, uh, we're going to break the session down into three components. Much of this lecture is extracted from a bit of work that we just did in uh, Spain. I was lecturing in Barcelona with Cisco, and some of this critical information was presented there and tested in that context with uh, that live audience. It was the worldwide conference for Cisco with the group of their of bars. And uh, for many, some of them who had not been tuned in to marketing experiments uh, before, as perhaps many of you have been, uh, it was shocking. And I watched the confusion. I watched the difficulties the audience had when we challenged them with the question I'm going to challenge you with in a moment. But let's just look at the three components. We're going to learn what a primary value proposition truly is. We're going to learn the importance of a sub-value proposition and its linkage to the value proposition. And then if time permits, we're going to look at live examples from the audience, and we're going to try to study their value props and see how we can get improvements there. So let's start with part one, your value or your primary value proposition. I'll try to control my pacing. I don't want to speak too fast, and I don't want to speak too slow, and I can't get it perfect for an audience of this size, but let's cover as much territory, and let's pack every moment with as much insight as we possibly can. So we're talking about a value proposition. And here's what I'd like you to do. If you had ten words to explain why someone should buy from your company instead of another, what would you communicate? Now, this is such an important question I'm going to ask you to, to take the Q&A feature right now and express your value proposition. And some of you might be able to do it with abbreviations. If you want to do it succinctly without even a complete sentence, do that. But let me understand how you would explain the value proposition for your organization or for your website or at least perhaps for your part of the organization in just ten words. I'm watching the Q&A. And I know it'll take you a moment, but this is so important, I'm going to give you time to write it. Someone said 100% handmade in the USA since 1923. You have the beginning of a value proposition. Somebody said profit-driven. Someone said guaranteed 24-hour turnaround or it's free. Someone said 100% uh, guarantee. Someone else said guaranteed. Someone else said the number one provider of industry-leading banking solutions. Someone else said, uh, helping you make the most of your marketing dollars online and offline. Someone else said, turnkey promotional video. Someone else said, book great golf courses nationwide. Now, I'm not even being able to see them as fast as they're coming in. I'm glad to see you're, you're, you're answering at this speed. Let me read a couple more. Very important that you pay attention to what I'm reading and listen to the differences between the way they're being expressed. Someone said, lowest rate, quick response. Somebody said, total body fitness in 20 minutes a day. That's, I'm up for that. Someone said, someone said helping organizations tell, it takes me an hour a day and I'm tired right now from doing legs at 12.30 today. Someone said, your measurable business success is my passion. Someone says, find the right lawyer now. That's scary. 
<laughs> uh, someone says, let us help you succeed at business ownership. All right, we're going to stop there. I want you to notice that there is not a commonality in the way these are being expressed. Some of you are giving me a slogan. Some of you are giving me a business description. Some of you are giving me a key benefit. Some of you are describing perhaps the uh, core or the essence of your model. Very, very few of these perhaps hundreds of submissions, I can't count them as fast as they're coming in, very, very few express what our scientists would call a working value proposition. So we've got to learn what is a value proposition and how do you measure its force, its impact. And, uh, and so to do that, I want to talk to you about three key principles that drive the value proposition and its impact, particularly its force. Never before in the history of business or the world have we been ever able to measure human behavior the way we can right now. And never before have we been able to triangulate the force of a value proposition. So I, I want to take, uh, kind of move ahead and I want to give you a definition. And then I want to come back and talk to you about how to measure its force. So to do that, let's just suggest this. What is a value proposition? It is precisely, it is absolutely, it is the answer to this question. So ask yourself this question. If I am the ideal customer, why should I purchase from you rather than any of your competitors? I'm going to say it again. If I am the ideal customer, why should I purchase from you rather than any of your competitors? Now, I'm going to make several statements. I can only say them once. Each of them probably deserve time to be taught on their own right. I just got finished teaching at a major bank in Canada on value proposition for several hours. And I've got to do it now in just a very short period of time, a matter of minutes. So watch these statements and reflect upon them later. Number one, that statement is phrased in the first person. There is a reason. You cannot understand your value proposition through your own eyes. You must understand it through the eyes of the customer. We don't optimize, you've heard me say over and over again, web pages. We optimize thought sequences. And the primary, the principal thought, in the sequence that's most important to you is how the customer might answer that question. If I am the ideal customer, why should I purchase from you rather than any of your competitors? That particular question is so critical, so important, that some of you are going to need to go away after this call and spend time reflecting on what it is about your business that will allow you to answer that honestly. In the absence of a good answer, you are simply surviving on pockets of ignorance. What I mean is that some people are using or finding your service or your product instead of the one that actually serves them better. And so, for reasons like proximity or others, you are somehow, at the present moment, surviving. But more often than not, we don't have a good answer to that question. Now, here's the good news. Many of you have the answer somewhere on your web page somewhere in your collateral, but you haven't learned how to state it and emphasize it in the right place on the page. And when we go to resolve uh, a problem with a particular path, online or offline, the first thing we do is go after the value proposition. When you get it right, all the other marketing is easier. Clarity trumps persuasion. You can afford to be clear when you are actually the best solution. So, let's suppose right now you tried to re-answer that question that I asked. Suppose some of you that submitted the entries just a few minutes ago stopped and said, wait a second, the reason or the answer to that question is X. And in saying that, you started to give me a, a more credible or a uh, perhaps at least you're on the right track with expressing the value proposition. The next question will be, well, how good is it? And there are three ways you can measure the appeal, I'm sorry, measure the force of the value proposition. And if you take those three and triangulate them, you can even assign math contents and give it a numerical value. And we have a table, a numerical way we measure the force of a value prop. But for now, I just want to teach it fast because I've got to connect this to the sub-value prop of your paid search ad in just a moment. 
So let's begin. The first is appeal. How much or how strong is the, is the desire for this offer? The appeal of a value proposition is dependent upon the relevance of the message, the motivations of the visitor. And it has factors like urgencies, those urgent points, and importances, those vital points that drive up its organic appeal. We can sometimes measure appeal by looking at demand in the search engines for a particular offering. But an example I frequently use, but it's simple and it helps, is, you know, if you decided that you wanted to go into business tomorrow and so you came up with a great idea, I'll open an online CD store where we sell music CDs. The question is, how much force would that have? Well, if you're just selling generic CDs, it wouldn't have a lot of force, and we're going to start to see why in just a moment. But let's suppose instead you came up with a potion that you can rub on a bald man's head and the next morning he wakes up with a full head of hair, luxurious and thick like mine. <clears throat> the staff is laughing at me. <laughs> they really are. Uh, not like mine, like Austin. Austin produces this website. He has, he, has he has more hair than all of us combined. And there must be some connection between being a curly-headed hippie and excellence in production because he's really good at it. <laughs> I might add that some of you know our editor, Daniel Borstein. Austin has more hair on his sideburn than Daniel and I have combined. But, but, but back to the issue. If you could rub that potion on my head and tomorrow morning I would have hair like Austin, you would have appeal. I mean, fairly, really. Isn't there, aren't there a lot of men who that would matter for? And yes, you would have appeal. You'd have more appeal than an online CD store. But that's not enough in its own right because even if you could do that, its force would be dependent on the next factor, and that is exclusivity. Exclusivity is a simple. Is there anywhere else I can get this offer or even a better version of it? Now, if I was the only person, let's suppose that this was my potion, you might say, and I was the only person that had it, and you had to get this potion, this drug from me, would you all agree that I would have a lot of force in my value proposition? But I want to suggest to you that even if I did, it wouldn't be enough. So you, you need appeal and you, knew, you need exclusivity. And the, the combination of these two factors uh, really helps increase or helps you at least measure the potential force of the value proposition. So you need to go back. You need to take the answer that you would have given me in the revised value proposition. And you need to ask yourself, how much appeal does it have? How much exclusivity does it have? If your value proposition doesn't have an implied or a direct only word in it, then it's missing out. Let's keep going. I could provide you more examples, but the bottom line is, if you're in a crowded marketplace, you better excel in at least one dimension of value that's important to the customer. And if you can, and if you do, that brings me to the third piece so vital, so critical, so important, and that is with appeal and exclusivity, you still don't have enough. You need credibility. How believable are your claims? So let's go back to my earlier definition. Let us suppose that I really had this uh, drug. You rub it on your head at night, and in the morning you have Austin's hair. If that is the case, here's the question. Suppose I came out with a website tomorrow morning that announced it. How many people do you think would believe me? My new problem would not be, you know, the invention. My new problem would not be the patents. My problem would be getting people to believe. I'd have to get doctors, testimonials, credibility, big names behind it. I'd have to have before I'd have to work hard to intensify the credibility. Once people tried it and discovered it was true and that it worked, why then we would have an enormously successful business. I did need all three factors to have a value proposition with significant force. So how do you get credibility? Well, you don't get it this way. If you're looking at the ad that just came up on your screen, this appeared uh, a long time ago in the marketplace and was highly successful. I could give you the numbers, but all I'd like to give you right now is a little bit of the copy. It says, among many other wonderful claims, that if you are afflicted with deafness right at the bottom, Get our specially prepared pure rattlesnake oil. It even cures deafness. 
If you look at the long list, it cures any problem you ever had, you contemplated had, having, or any of your relatives might have. You just take this snake oil liniment and all your problems are over. Uh, clearly, we have a problem with credibility. That ad worked before, uh, before the citizens of uh, the world discovered that marketers all, don't always make claims that are consistent with reality. It's called correlation in philosophy. We have a problem with correlation. So now you have a problem. Even if you're an honest marketer making honest claims, no one can hear you amidst all the noise. You could be the fastest, but they don't believe you have the widest selection, they don't believe you. So how do you deal with it? Well, there are a number of things, but I'll only teach one of five right now, and that is substitute general descriptions with specific facts. That's qualitative versus quantitative. Don't tell me you're the biggest. Tell me you have 106,000 products. Don't tell me you're the fastest. Tell, tell me an independent study. Um, your download time is 1.4 seconds. Or tell me your server uptime is X or Y. Give me quantitative facts. And if you have to say something qualitative about yourself, then don't use your own words. Use somebody else's words. Get a third party to say it for you, to say it about you. So, let's keep going. Let's look at examples. There are several popping up on the screen right now. You can see how specific they are. Uh, let's just look at the bottom example. You don't say, we provide reliable services. You say, all our solutions are backed by stringent service level guarantees with cash rebates for underperformance, 99.9% .9 uptime guaranteed, etc., etc. Do you see how specific that is? Here's another example. In fact, I know the, the details on the example. I can't go into it right now. But the change between the page I'm going to show you and the page you're looking at right now was over 200% in conversion. Notice the phrase, we have the best data guaranteed. Well, listen, that is the exclusivity factor. And uh, they are a mailing list provider, and they have an appeal factor. There are a lot of people looking for their product. But they had a huge credibility problem. It says, searching for the most accurate mailing list, your hunt is over. The headline does nothing to engage them with credibility or drive them into the core content. The goal of a headline is not to sell a product. It's to get you to read the first paragraph. You don't have a first paragraph in the left column. There's lots of things wrong with this page. But even the tone of voice hurts its credibility. If I were to walk up, in fact, let's take, uh, let's take um, Tony. Tony is uh, going to be helping us later. He's sitting across from me. And uh, if Tony were to go out tonight, after work, to a bar, walk up to a, to a girl and say, searching for the most eligible bachelor, your hunt is over. I don't think he'd have great results. Now, not the, the he's, he, he's, he's questioning me on that. Uh, it, it might work for Tony, but it wouldn't work for most of us. Because it isn't credible, and the tone of voice is incredible, and marketers talk in a wonderful way to each other at a conference, and then they start writing copy, and their voice changes completely. The most important thing for you to notice on this comp is it says we have the best data guaranteed. That statement is not credible. The new page teases out of the copy on the right on the old page something that no one read, small print, but vital. And it says we make 26 million phone calls a year to ensure you get the most accurate mailing list available. And then it says trusted since 1972. It has all kinds of data. It says that, that for instance, our telesearch associates make over 80,000 calls a day to phone verify your data. Powerful information. This page is properly expressing the core value proposition with credibility. It has force because it has appeal. It has exclusivity, i.e., the most accurate mailing list. And it has credibility. The result is that second page produces a 201% lift. So, go back again. And I don't even think I'm going to ask you to enter this in the Q&A feature. But ask yourself, again, if you had just 10 words to explain why people should buy from your company instead of another, what would you communicate? Now, that brings me to the second part of this training. And I'd like to point out that some of you, those of you that are students or have been in recent lectures, may have heard some of the content that I just delivered. But if you did... Now is the time to start concentrating deeply because we're going to connect that with the importance of sub-value propositions. So here's the key principle. For every action you desire a visitor to make, 
It might even just be a click. There must be an immediate promise of value that outweighs the perceived cost of that action. It's not the actual cost. It's the perceived cost. Optimization doesn't occur on the page. It occurs between the ears. And so you must look at what you're asking them to take. That's why we don't like buttons that say, uh, register here, click here, sign up today. They promise nothing. They just demand of you. Our all-time worst button, submit. You heard us in clinics. Fall, fall before on your knees before the lords of marketing and admit we've defeated you with our superior powers of persuasion. You want a button that says, get instant access now. You want a button that says, get my free report. You want a button that promises something that will help them deliberately. Let's look at this. This fulcrum is essentially the essence of what's happening in the visitor, in their mind as they approach your offer. They're weighing their perceived value against their perceived cost. And the same thing happens in a paid search ad. And what I'm hoping to do, and please give us feedback and, and tell us if we're helping you with this, is I want to show you a new way to look at your paid search ads. A completely new way to approach them. And to do that, I've had to lay the groundwork by teaching this core information about value prop. But now let's connect it to a, to a real example. Like the primary value proposition, the sub-value proposition can be measured by three points. Its appeal, its exclusivity, and its credibility. So now, let's look at the original paid search ad, the one that was optimized. And let's consider its appeal. How strong is the appeal? How strong is the exclusivity? How strong is the credibility? And you'll notice the little uh, table on the left, the bar charts, help us understand uh, just how powerful those particular components are. And candidly, it's weak. Now you look at the optimized ad, and you see that it has a bit more appeal. It has exclusivity. Why is that all the way across? Why is that four bars? Because it says it's the number one on-demand software, and it backs it up with a claim of 6,459-plus rural clients, which also adds credibility because we're now giving a quantifiable statement as opposed to a qualitative statement. And so we naturally increase the force of the value proposition. But you do something else here that's vital. The goal of this ad, again, is not to compare products or to sell the product. The goal of this ad is to get somebody to click on it. Please hear this. You are not competing against the products in your paid search uh, page in Google. You are competing for clicks. And you've got to ask yourself, are they ready to buy my product based on 130 uh, characters? I don't think so. Not in most cases. Some products, yes. Most products, no. So what are they doing here? They're looking for a way to make the decision. And anything you promise in the paid search ad that helps make that decision generates more force. But you can't do that in a vacuum. You can't do it just looking at your own ad. You've got to see what the others are offering. And you've got to offer a free comparison chart. You've got to offer a free trial. If they're offering a free trial, if they're offering a free comparison chart, you need to offer more. You need to promise more value. In many cases, the goal of the ad is to get a click, and the way to click is not to promise that you have a better product, but it's to promise that it's going to be easier for them to make the right decision. Think about where the person is at in the buying process. We do not optimize web paths, web pages, or uh, direct mail campaigns. We are optimizing thought sequences. So you don't want this. Customized data center for medium to large businesses. You want this. 100% uptime, SAS 70 audited, Greenfield data center, two are online. Do you see how this has more appeal, more exclusivity, more credibility? You don't want this. Interested in earning your degree online? What a dumb waste of, what a dumb waste of characters. Don't ask me an obvious question. I'm the one with the questions. Give me an answer. If I'm not interested, I wouldn't be looking at your ad. And if I'm looking at your ad, tell me something. 
And then it says, Inquire Now about Capellas. And what you need to see is the Inquire Now comes from that old uh, truism in direct response. Got to be urgent. Tell them now. Tell them exactly what you want. It's, it's the old notion that people are sheep. And if you don't grab a hold of these poor dumb sheep and tell them what to do instantly, nothing's going to happen. No, these people are far more sophisticated than you think. Ogilvy was right about so many things. I didn't discover Ogilvy in the early days of my lab. I probably had 10 years of research in before I, I read a lot about what Ogilvy said. And I'll tell you why. Because I didn't see a lot of the agencies understanding the core cognitive psychology associated with using your ads to sell. But Ogilvy did understand it instinctively without the research. He came from the world of direct response. And he would have slaughtered an ad like this. One of the things that Ogilvy insisted on is the same thing I'm telling you. People are not as stupid as we think they are. People are weighing the value, consciously or subconsciously. They're looking at this ad, and they're looking for a way to make a quick decision, and there's nothing in this ad that's getting the job done. It isn't uh, nearly as good as the ad you see underneath it that has some appeal, some exclusivity, and some credibility, established in 1902. Over 11,000 students. I'd have probably said students instead of classmates, even though we use the word students twice. Redundancy and bad grammar is a necessity in good marketing. Forget your fourth grade teacher when you write copy, because when you correct anxiety, you're going to be redundant, for instance. It's okay. But let's keep going. So let me take you to a third principle. We've talked about the first two there in gray. Look at the, the point three now. Both the primary value proposition and the sub-value proposition should be communicated continuously through the entire conversion process. I cannot stress this enough. Let's go back. Let's go back to that first case study, and now you'll see why we opened with it. Now you might see why we used it again if you've seen it in the past, because it's very effective at illustrating a very important point. Notice how its, its claims and, and that uh, establish its value. Number one on demand. 6,459 plus world clients, award-winning solution. Notice how all of that is carried right through to the top of the landing page because we are now making a claim. We're driving a stake in the ground and saying, this is who we are, this is what's different about us, and we're now carrying that message from the channel to the landing page. And what we're seeing is an increase in conversion on the channel and the landing page. I don't know if I've got coming up a slide that tells you what the landing page achieved, but someone find that out and tell me, will you? I know, I remember the form was 97%. I think it was 54% for the landing page. Somebody might want to validate that. But what I'd like you to see is that even though there was only a 21% click-through on the paid search ad, it set up the value, and it's just been validated by our team. It was 54%. The landing page increased conversion yet again by 54% because the value is being emphasized now. They've heard it twice. We're galloping. We're gathering momentum. And now we see it, and it's kind of strange. You don't see this on most forms. Now we see the optimized form, and it has the same statements, the core value proposition at the top of the form. Why? Because the work is not done, marketer, when they get to the form. The work is not done, and I mean this respectfully, until their check has cleared the bank. And what I mean by that is your job is to keep tension on the line, keep establishing the value, driving the point home over and over and over and over and over again, all the way through the process. When I teach the certification program on landing page optimization, I was just in Toronto this week teaching it, one of the things that I use sometimes as an illustration is simply this. I'm, I'm not in cold Toronto right now. I'm in Florida. I see the sun out the window, and uh, we live uh, here on the beach. And, and listen, when you go to the beach with a surf rod and cast out, you want to have good bait, and you, want to, you need to have a good hook. The bait, we all as marketers can understand what the bait is. And we all understand as marketers how that metaphor connects with the hook. So the fish swims by, they see the bait, they bite the bait, we set the hook, we've got a fish on the line. Fantastic. Now, what we most assuredly do not do on the beach now is lay the fishing rod on the sand, go back and sit in our lounge chair, drink a beer, and wait for the fish to swim into shore. Because we'll wait for a long time before that happens. But the marketer... We often do that. We think the heavy lifting is done. We think the work is over. They're on the form. 
They've made the decision. We did not do that here. And I can tell you that by adding the value proposition from the paid search ad to the form so that all three communicated the value, we got a 97% increase on the form. That's 97% over the old form. 54% on the new landing page over the old landing page. 21% over the paid search ad from the old paid search ad. What did that do for us? Changed everything. Increased conversion by 200%. Increased profits by over 300%. What is the moral of the story? Simple. You need to understand that not only does your company have a value proposition, but your paid search ad has a value proposition. And it's not competing with the other companies. It's competing with the other ads. And it's not selling your product. It's selling a click. And if you want to get the click, if you want to win the click war, you need to suggest value in the paid search ad. And the value needs to connect to where they are in the thought sequence. And the strength of the value will be triangulated against three components. Appeal, exclusivity, and credibility. All right, so now we come to, uh, you might say, the main event. Let's put this into practice. One of the great things about Mech Labs for me is that I'm not stuck. You know, I, I have a faculty position at Cambridge. I'm not stuck in a library researching Hyderian balance theory and writing uh, journal articles and hoping that someday I can refute all of those who would argue against the position. Instead, I get to look marketers eyeball to eyeball every day against real campaigns and put what we say to the test. And you learn a lot. And by the way, I often look foolish <laughs> from the test. The thing you didn't expect happens and you learn. So we're going to start live optimization, but I have some questions that have come in, and we'll just take a few of these before we start. Here's one. It says, it's from Julie. It says, have you tested the use of title case versus sentence case? Sentence case. Yes, sentence case typically works better than title case. Why? Because it's easier to read. A headline, by the way, is not a phrase. It's a sentence. And its goal is to start a conversation. And to go back to Tony, who I hope is single. Are you single, Tony? No. Are you really not single? No. Okay, Tony's not single, so he's not at the bar tonight meeting girls. So uh, um, it's all for testing. He said he can do it. <laughs> if, Tony, if Tony is at the bar meeting a girl tonight and he sees her across the room, he's got to do something to get into conversation with her. Let's, let's, let's suppose he's single, because he probably will be very soon if he's not already once this clinic is uh, on the air. And if, and if Tony's going out to meet somebody, he's not going to get a date with this girl by just looking at her across the bar. And he's certainly not going to get a date with her by holding up a sign that says, Hi, I'm Tony, and these are my main features and benefits. He's going he's gonna to get a relationship by having a conversation. And marketer, you're not going to have a relationship with a, with, until you have a conversation. Instead, we hit him with a magazine ad instead of talk to him. Now, for Tony to have a conversation with this girl, you know, all guys talk about pickup lines. He has to have a pickup line. I know that's a crass example. Please don't be offended. I want you to understand something very important, and that is your headline is a pickup line. All it really is is a conversation starter. Now, Tony's pickup line doesn't have to be rude. It doesn't have to be cliched. It might be something that just opens up the ability to talk. It might be a comment about something that just happened or something that this person is doing or the weather or whatever the case may be. But it opens a conversation, and it's only in the conversation that relationship can start to be established. I mean, he can't go into the bar, grab her by the arm, and drag her out on a date. It won't work. And, uh, and uh, he's a big guy, but I still don't think it'll work. <laughs> So, so my point instead is he needs a conversation starter. Your headline is your conversation starter. So the answer is to your title case question, yes. Make it a sentence, and the goal of the headline is to get them to read the first paragraph. That's start the conversation. All right, let's keep going. So somebody said, uh, this, is, um, this is Michael. He said, is it better to have multiple websites to focus your value proposition, or do you place multiple offers on one site with multiple value props? Oh, I am so glad you asked that question. Uh, I'll let Tony Doty answer that question. Tony, uh, I've been picking on Tony, but he's, he's, a, he's one of our top producers in terms of uh, our research at Mech Labs, and, he, and he's got a lot of experiments, uh, experience with questions like this in a testing environment. So, Tony, how would you answer that question? 
in general, we never want to have multiple value propositions on a single site. We want you know each page of the site to have a, uh, a specific call to action. You want to know what you're doing on that page, what you're doing on that site, and you don't want to be distracting them with a lot of different offers, a lot of uh, um, you know, pieces that, are, that can kind of conflict and pull the iPath from one site to the other. All right, so Tony's answer was brilliant. His, his answer was an emphatic no. We want to focus the attention on one offer. Multiple value propositions provide multiple decisions or choices. The more choices, the lower the conversion rate. All right, I'm going to move on to, uh, to live op and look at a page. So, audience, take a look. This is Whitby's Best Caregivers, and there's the ad. Island Home Nursing can meet your in-home needs free assessment. Take a look at this and ask yourself, what is the value proposition, first of all, of the ad? Let me see the Q&A feature, if you would, and I'm going to see you start to answer us through the Q&A feature or through Twitter. That's hashtag web clinic. Uh, someone said nothing, nothing, nothing. Someone said in-home. Someone said license. Let me stop. The value proposition is the answer to a single important question. If I am the ideal customer, why should I purchase from you rather than any of your competitors? So if you say, say in-home care, you're just telling me what the business does. You're not giving me a reason to choose this business over the other businesses. Now, some of you are saying free assessment. So let's, let's evaluate that. Good answer if you recognize that the paid search ad has its own value proposition and the website has a different value proposition. Why might I click on this ad rather than any other ad? Well, if this is the only ad offering a free assessment, and uh, then I might. Um, all right, so let's just keep going. We have seven minutes, and we're going to use those seven minutes to our highest and... Uh, and, and best and most productive time. Let's look at another ad. This is Hyatt Hotels and Resorts. Uh, look at the particular one, book online at the official site, and flex for our best rates, guaranteed. Give me, use the Q&A feature, and tell me, what do you think of this value prop? Let's just look at the ad. What is the value proposition of the ad? All right, we're watching. Go ahead. Don't see one. What does flex mean? Best rates. Book online. Best hotels. Best rates. Flex is an odd word. Best rates. All right. Let's go back to the ad itself. I think that the ad is particularly weak. Uh, I think people don't know what flex for our best rates mean. I don't know if I want to flex until you tell me what it means. In fact, I'm scared of the whole concept. And uh, more importantly, there's nothing quantifiable in here. The brand is so well known, if you could give me something quantifiable, a reason to click on this particular ad, I would be very excited. But the reality is, most of us cannot uh, see the value of that particular ad, and the only reason it's going to get a click is because of the brand strength. Now, if you're with a big brand, you have some advantages. Particularly, you have the advantage of the equity, and a big brand's equity will cover a multitude of marketing mistakes. The reality is, some people will give you the benefit of the doubt because of the brand. But you can only trade so long and so far on that. So you need a much stronger paid search ad than this one. And let's look at another. We have just a few minutes left. It says, Next Base Portals, Portable DVDs. Starting from $89.99, huge range, next day delivery, expert guidance. All right, so let's just stop there for a moment. What do you think of this particular ad? Let's rank it on a scale of 1 to 5 based on your understanding of exclusivity, appeal, and credibility. So go ahead, audience. Let me hear what you have to say. I have a 1 and a 3. I have a 4. I have no 5s. That I could, wait, there came a 5. Someone entered an 8. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how to respond to an 8. Kevin says it's, uh, it's not bad, but there's not mention of the player. A 3 of 5 says Antonio. The uh, uh, Ray says a one. Let's go back to the ad and look at it. And as we search the ad, let's go back to the ad and let's just consider it for a moment. All right, so thinking about it, we have some credibility. Would you agree we have some things that are quantifiable? I would say there's some credibility. There's some appeal. But the ad makes a 
fundamental mistake in its own right, and that is it is trying to sell the product as opposed to the click. The goal of the ad is to get a click. The only way to really evaluate this ad is to see how it distinguishes itself from all the other ads around it because that's where we can see the individual sub-value proposition of the ad itself. And in this way, we can measure its force, its appeal, and its credibility. So there are critical pieces of information that will help drive the appeal, but much of that belongs on the landing page unless it's a simple solution at the lowest possible price that requires nothing like a multiple step in the thinking or the thought sequence to make the final call. All right, it's 4.57 p.m. If we did not get to your pages and your ads to look at, watch our blog. We'll post more of these on our blog with comments about how to improve the ads. We might even be able to run a test with some of the improved ads against the old ads and report in the blog on the findings. It would be quite interesting so that you can actually see our, our, our suggestions and we can all determine whether they work or they don't. That's what Marketing Experiments does. Also, I'd like to invite you to participate in an optimization project. I'm going to ask you for a favor. I don't think I've ever done that on these calls. You're looking at the Mech Labs website. Marketing Experiments is part of Mech Labs. I'm the managing director of Mech Labs. And we're operating around the world, and we have a website that we want you to help optimize. We just launched this site. It's in beta. And it's mechlabs.com. And we do these clinics and produce all of our findings in our primary research. We rarely tell you the big story about marketing experiments and how it fits into the Mech Labs family. Here you can find all of that out. And, uh, but, uh, you know, um, we're interested in what you think about how to improve its performance. Now, our team's going to work through optimizing it now that it's in beta and live. But we feel like with an audience of this size, you may have great insights to help us improve the site. And so let's, let's, uh, you've heard me uh, up here criticizing other websites. Let me give you a chance, particularly if I've ever critiqued your website, you can now hurdle uh, furious insults back at us as you think about how to make what we're doing here better. Uh, as a community of marketers, let's help each other. And we respect your thoughts in this process, and we would love to get your feedback. So you can give us your feedback at marketingexperiments.com, optimize us. And uh, we'll watch that carefully, and, uh, and we'll look at the patterns in the feedback, look for great ideas, and, uh, and then reflect those in changes for the upcoming site. I want to thank you for your attendance today. Would you please give us good feedback on the survey afterwards and on the Q&A, uh, particularly in light of any technical problems? I don't know if you're happy or you're glad right now. I want to know if we helped you. We're doing our best to try to help you, so let us know. And we'll be back in another week or two with more original findings from our discoveries. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments Live Web Clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.